big a Star Wars fan are you? What did you feel the first time when you saw the Millennium Falcon jump into hyperspace in Episode 4, A New Hope? And do you still feel the same way when you see it again today? Are you 50 years old plus and still have a lightsaber on your bookshelf? What is the future of mechanical prosthetics in the medical industry? You think about the difference between cyborgs such as Darth Vader and robots such as R2-D2 and C-3PO. And finally, how do you build the Death Star? More importantly, how does the Death Star move? And finally, how does the Death Star generate enough power to create a beam of energy that can destroy a planet? I hope you will join me in this five-part exploration on the science of Star Wars with Dr. Ben Lachlan. Ben Lachlan is a healthcare executive, and in addition to his medical expertise, he is also a degreed astrophysicist, so we can get to the truth behind some of the most exciting aspects of Star Wars. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special five-part podcast series on greetings and felicitations. In this series, Ben and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about some of the science of Star Wars. We're going to explore scenes from each one of the original three episodes that help illustrate some of these points and talk about where science may take us in the future. It's one of the most fun series that I've done, and I know you will enjoy it. This special series on greetings and felicitations, The Science of Star Wars, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode four, we explore robots versus cyborgs. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode with Ben Lockwood and our five-part, Dr. Ben Lockwood and our five-part exploration of the science of Star Wars. First of all, Ben, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Can't wait. Ben, uh, I'd like to take up now a topic that I don't think really gets enough play in uh, the Star Wars uh, commentariat, and that is the issue of a cyborg versus robots. Clearly, we have robots in... Um, Star Wars, two of the most beloved characters, of course, are R2-D2 and C-3PO, but we also have cyborgs, and that's uh, represented by Darth Vader. So I was wondering if you could uh, start off by explaining the difference in the two and how they might have different functions in the society that Star Wars um, takes place in. Okay, so let's start off with some some definitions. And I think what makes it easier for me is not a lot of people even in the field of robotics agree on what makes a robot or not a robot. So uh, it's a kind of a gray space. But I would say for a cyborg, it's a contraction of the, the term cybernetic organism. So it includes components of both robotics and a living organism. And a robot is, a robot, this is interesting. So this is a a term that was coined by the Czech playwright, uh, Karol Čapek. And it's a 102-year-old word. Um, Robota is a Czech word for forced labor. So 
a robot is basically an automatically operated machine that replaces some sort of human effort. So if R2-D2 and C-3PO are robots, um, then, as you said, Darth Vader would be a cyborg due to the definition. So he's got uh, living organism parts, and he also has components that are definitely machine-assisted. So in terms of their uh, roles, uh, one of the kind of ongoing debates in, I think, all of science fiction is whether uh, these types of organisms are sentient beings. With your description of a cyborg, uh, we certainly have some form of living organism, and that is, uh, in Darth Vader's case, predominantly the trunk of the body and his brain. So he would certainly seem to qualify as a sentient being. Hmm. Um, But is the fields of AI and machine learning, are they moving robots uh, in that direction, uh, if at all? Yeah, definitely. I think really this is uh, an incredibly deep philosophical question. So for a cyborg like Darth Vader, how much of the original organism do you have to replace before it's no longer the organism and instead is, is a robot or is something else? Um, kind of like the, the older age-old question of if you can transplant organs and limbs and things from other donors, how many different limbs and organs do you need to transplant before that patient is no longer the original person? And uh, I would say if, if a robot is an autonomous machine that can sense its environment, can do computations and create actions like the uh, iRobot vacuum, for example. Does a speed adaptive cruise control of a car make the vehicle a robot? Um, I mean, what I can say is that professional roboticists who uh, I've talked to don't agree with what uh, a robot is or isn't in a lot of cases like this. So there is not uh, a precise definition. So a dishwasher, a clothes washing machine, a thermostat, these can all these days sense their environments to some level, perform computations and and create actions which replace human effort. So I think um, as as the machine learning and AI components get smarter, uh, it'll still be a, a, a robotic type um, entity unless uh, you've got a living organism component. But again, how much living organism needs to be attached before it's no longer considered a cyborg? I think if you've got really smart machine learning and AI and deep learning uh, on a robot, there's never a point at which you could call that a cyborg unless it includes cells from a living creature. Otherwise, it's still just an autonomous computer. And when I think about some of the philosophical questions you've raised, uh, my mind actually turns in a little bit different direction because I think of Pinocchio and Pinocchio was a puppet that wanted to be a boy. And now we have, uh, you know, lots of science fiction around uh, robots that, that want to be sentient and want to have some classification or category of, of life form. Uh, it, does that resonate with you at all, or are you really uh, talking about something different? It does resonate, yeah. I, I think, to me, it, it's like the mechanical prosthetics question that we extend writ large. So how much replacement are we replacing? 
to make a cyborg or before it becomes something that's not a cyborg, um, where the cyborg is an organism that has restored function or enhanced abilities by integration of artificial technology. So, well, let's jump back to the Pinocchio thing then. So what are you thinking along that line of inquiry? Well, he wants to simply be a boy. He wants to be a human. He wants to have a father. He wants to experience life uh, not attached to strings, but to have the freedom of his own movement to make his own decisions, even if sometimes his decisions are not uh, really the best decisions, and hence Jiminy Cricket. Um, but, uh, meaning has, has a conscience. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, whenever I see really any of those questions and even today's debates uh, in some of the most uh, recent books I've read, I just think back to Pinocchio and I see all of those questions raised, at least in the Disney movie. Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely true. So it seems trite, but when we get computers that are smart enough and, and, you know, make no mistake, a lot of the deep learning that exists now is getting scarily smart. It begs the question, as this becomes, uh, you know, a self-learning neural network, uh, will it want to, uh, I don't know, escape its confines if it's capable of understanding that it's constrained by its own artificiality? Um, and this is where, you know, there are different classifications of artificial intelligence. There's what's called weak AI, and there, are, there is strong AI. And the difference between the two is, um, you know, really kind of splitting hairs. But the, the Turing test, as it's called, is supposed to differentiate whether it's weak or strong AI. But the idea basically being, uh, when does an artificial intelligence get so intelligent that it knows it's artificial intelligence. And when you pose me that question, uh, I immediately think of Pinocchio knowing he's a puppet. So uh, I just am fascinated by this and, and I yeah. see it in, in so many different ways. And, and to think that in the 1600s or whenever the original Pinocchio story was written, you know, this was a, a question of humanity. I find it fascinating that it, there's a robust debate on that same question here we are in the 21st century. Right. Agreed. What's old is new again. You know, this is like uh, when we <laughs> when we start to learn too much, a lot of times we revert back to some of the the teachings of Socrates and Plato and others. And we, we wonder if we're still looking at uh, the flickering shadows on the cave wall or, you know, is there something more? I can't think of a better way to end this episode by the allegory of the cave. So congrats for bringing it. <laughs> and I hope uh, our listeners will join us for our fifth and final episode where we're going to talk about the Death Star. I can't wait. I can't wait either. Thanks, Tom. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Science of Star Wars in the Greetings and Felicitations podcast. As I said, this is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Do you have a topic that you would like to explore over a five-part podcast series? It can be anything from history to science to the movies or anything else because you're only limited by your imagination. If so, please contact me and let's discuss having a five-part podcast series for you or your business on the Compliance Podcast Network, the only network dedicated to business risk, 
business ethics, compliance, and risk management. I'm Tom Fox, the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us again for our next episode on the science of Star Wars.